morning we're going to look at David and we're going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to look at a, a picture of grace as represented through David. Have you ever had someone in your life that made a decision that they may have made years before or generations before that still impacted your life? You know, when I was in seventh grade, I had a math teacher the day I walked in his class. He didn't like me. He was also my football coach. He was also my eighth grade math teacher, and he was also my eighth grade football coach, small school. He just didn't like me, and I chalked it up to his wife was my fifth grade teacher, so in communication, he just didn't like me because of things I'd done in the fifth grade. I just not had a teacher that didn't like me instantly yet. I never had that. Usually it was based on the merits of my conduct. And so throughout high school, it was one of those deals where I, he was involved in other sports and I got crossways with him multiple times to where it escalated when I was a senior. It became a physical altercation and I got in a lot of trouble for it. So my brother calls me and he's chewing on me. And I told him, I was like, man, this is what's going on. This is all the things that he's done over the Nobody believes me because, you know, adults can't be petty, I guess. And my brother goes, well, I know why he's treating you like that. I got in a fight with him the spring before I left, which was the spring before I entered in the seventh grade. Because of my brother, this man absolutely disliked me. But, you know, and that impacted me in a lot of ways. But, you know, decision, another decision my brother made. While he was in college, he met a young lady by the name of Daphne Zebok, And she introduced him to the gospel. She invited him to church in a gospel meeting. And because of that decision that my brother made, it impacted an entire family. If he had not made that decision, I probably wouldn't be here with you today. So you see how decisions, whether negative or positive, can oftentimes impact our lives. And what we see in a relationship decision that was made between Jonathan and David would have a wonderful impact upon another person years later. And the passage we read today provides a great example of a picture of grace and what God wants us to see in his relationship with us in grace. Now, historically, let's get a little bit put us in the right place. So this is David. He's, uh, over the years, he's fought with King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Uh, God would strip him of that kingdom because of his conduct and some decisions that he would made and put David in that place. It wasn't something that happened overnight. There was a lot of fighting and infighting that would go on and Saul would try to murder David. Uh, David had a close relationship with Saul's son, a man by the name of Jonathan. And this is where we're at in this story is after all this has happened, both Jonathan and Saul are dead now. And David has united the kingdom in Israel and he is the king. In 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And how there was at the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there yet not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Micker, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. David says that he wants to show kindness. 
And he wants to show kindness for what? For Jonathan's sake, his friend's sake. That word kindness is translated as goodness, mercy, favor, and loving tenderness. Very much like the word grace is translated in the New Testament. Some of the very same words. And grace is a is the person accepting another in, in a positive manner in spite of that other's condition in life. Or worthiness to be accepted. That's what grace really is. Usually... In a a situation like this, what a king would do would destroy every member of the predecessor's home. (coughs) Very animalistic, if you will, like in the animal kingdom. The lions destroy all the cubs uh, of of the male that was before them. And that's what would normally happen in a situation like this. And David had the right to execute that judgment, execute the judgment on all of those that were remaining of Saul's house. So that if they were loyal to Saul, they still they couldn't come up and overthrow him. David had promised both Jonathan and Saul that he would not do this. He promised both of them that he would establish their home in his kingdom. In 1 Samuel chapter 20 in verse 13, it says, The Lord do so much and more to Jonathan, but if it please my father to do the evil, then I will show it thee and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee as, we, as he hath been with my father. This is Jonathan speaking, by the way. And thou shalt not only while yet I have lived show me kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemy. A few chapters later, David expresses the the same thing, a very similar thing to, to Saul, and that he would not cut off the entirety of his home. And whenever you look at a, a, a picture that is presented to us first and foremost and David making that decision and one might say well he made that decision with his relationship with Jonathan a very close friend and maybe it was a time of an emotional decision because when you read the entirety of that chapter what you read is a relationship and a friendship of one that was very close and did David make that decision out of emotional emotional time it was irrelevant because in David's mind he made that decision he made that choice that he would always offer grace to Saul and Jonathan's family. And that picture that we're given is one that we get to see in our lives here and now today in our relationship with God and the grace that has been extended to us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of another. And we get to see it played out in our lives. In fact, if we received what we deserved, we would receive judgment, damnation, and hell, honestly, is what we would receive. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 20, it says, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Ephesians chapter 18 and verse 4, behold, also, or excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, God pronounces all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. This is what we deserve. This is what our righteousness deserves. This is what our hard-headedness deserves. This is what our sin puts us in a position with God. This is what we deserve. Judgment and damnation. But God extended His grace to us because of another. Much like 
David extended his grace to someone we'll see in a minute because of another. God reached out to the fallen, depraved sinners because he loves his son. He reached out to you and I in our unrighteousness, in our sin, because of his son. There's nothing that you and I offer or any merit that we have that says we should have the grace of God. Isaiah 64, it says our righteousness is as what? It's as filthy rags. It's worthless. That's what our righteousness is. Something that you would cast aside. But because of Jesus, we can experience God's grace. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. Speaking of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, Paul says, And be you kind one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So he lays out that template of forgiveness, but it's based upon what? It's based upon the very same thing that we have because of Jesus Christ. And that template set before us, and it was one that was established a long time ago, the grace of God, and we see the picture of it time and time again, and ultimately it's played out in the death of Jesus Christ and what he did for you and I. And we have this relationship, we have this extended to us because of another, because of what Jesus Christ was and what he means to you and I. When David decides to extend grace, he does it in a way that there are no limits in the extension of his grace. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, he says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The only requirement in any of this is that they be an heir of Jonathan or of Saul. Is there any left in the house of Jonathan? That's all that is required. David was not looking for any other requirement, any other criteria to be met other than they had to be of the house of Saul and Jonathan. Because of the simple promise that he made to both of these men that their house would not be completely cut off. And it was because any one of them would be a candidate for David's grace. God's boundaries are very similar to that. His regard of our past, regardless of race, regardless of anything that we've done, regardless of social standing, regardless of our deeds... The requirement is, is if you are a part of mankind, I will extend my grace to you. That is the only requirement. If you are a part of mankind, he's willing to extend his grace, not having anything to do with who we are or where we came from. That grace is extended to us. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, When Jesus heard it, he saith to him, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God's condition of what he needs from you and I was that he wanted those that were broken. That spiritually needed uplifted, that spiritually needed to be repaired. 
He goes on to say in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all, that you're, all, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's other passages where he says, come, such as John chapter 7 and verse 37. He says, if you thirst, let him come unto me. All of these things that we're sitting out that you and I are, we're hungry, we're thirsty. And we're not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. We need God. We need what he offers. And he says, it's all right here before you. I extend my grace for you. The problem is that oftentimes we see that, that we have need of it, but we go to do it a different way. It's not the way you want it. And all the while, God is sitting here saying, here's my grace. You're heavy. You're working hard. You're spiritually hurting. You're spiritually thirsty. You're spiritually dying. And we just sit back and don't take advantage of what is offered before us. Whenever you look at what mankind is in the state that we are a part of Christ, what we see is a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was Saul's, or excuse me, Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. And I want to look at quickly what Mephibosheth's state was. The Bible says he was in the house of Micker in a place called Lodabar. Micker means sold. Lodabar means no pasture. Mephibosheth was lame in both of his legs whenever he was young. Uh, his caretaker was carrying him and running and, and dropped him and he became lame. He was lame all of his life, couldn't walk. As a matter of fact, Mephibosheth's name, and you look at all the different definitions, shame continually comes up. His name literally means shame. You think about the position that Mephibosheth is in. He's hiding out in a place that means soul or no pasture. He's in a hopeless condition. He's helpless physically. He can do nothing for himself. Is that not a wonderful picture and an exact picture of the state that you and I are in outside of God's grace? Isn't that a perfect picture of who we are without Jesus Christ? We're in a place, hiding out, and there's nothing we can do for ourselves. And that's exactly where Mephibosheth was. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. What is that a picture of that Paul is illustrating for us as he does throughout the book of Romans whenever he's comparing the spiritual law and this Old Testament law, this carnal, carnal physical law? What he's trying to drive home to the Romans is that it was they were in a position of no hope. That's what the law got you. That you were in a position of no hope. And what Jesus Christ was offering you was that of hope. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, it says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's talking to the church at Ephesus and Gentiles as they were being outside of the, the nation of Israel and that they had absolutely no hope. And what Jesus Christ offered them ultimately was 
this hope. The lost sinner is in a pasture of no hope. There's nothing he can do for himself. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6, it says, When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? We see three things here in this passage that's played out for us. You see a man with a humble heart. When Mephibosheth comes into David's presence, he was aware that he was a descendant of Saul. He was aware of his situation and what David could do and the judgment that could be placed before him. So he humbles himself. He falls before the king. Unfortunately, many times today, we don't fall before the king and humble ourselves. We stand and we beat our chest in our sin and say, this is who I am. But at one day, there will come a time in which we all will bow before the king. There will be no proclamation of who we are and what we've done other than the proclamation of who God is and what he has done. We see a man with a happy heart. Instead of the judgment that was placed upon him, Mephibosheth experienced tenderness. He hears David call his name, and then he hears David speak peace to his heart. He sees a king that restores all of the wealth of his family to him. He's offered a continued heart, a place at the table of the king. And it's with a happy heart that he accepts all of these things. He's restored all of those things because of the tenderness and the grace of David. At the end of it, we see a man who has an honest heart. Mephibosheth is overwhelmed by the grace that he's received, and he asks the, the simple question, how can you look upon me, someone who is no, no greater than a dead dog? That is an honest and open heart. That is an honest, open, contrite heart, one that knew the actions of his grandfather and what his grandfather had done. The numerous ways his grandfather tried to murder David, the numerous ways that his grandfather had taken cowardly actions in guiding Israel down the wrong path. And here he was, a descendant who is nothing but lame and broken. And he has a moment of total honesty and says, how can you do this? I'm, nothing, I'm not anything greater than a dead dog. And I find that statement convicting. Because how often are we confronted with the grace of God 
and we look at his word and his will. And we think it's by some great thing or some merit that we have or some ability that we have that we're in the position that we're in. And we don't give any credence to what God has done for him. We don't give any credence to what Jesus Christ has done for him, for us. We don't look at the blessings that we have in this life. And all this time we tend to just look at ourselves and we're not honest and have a contrite heart where we say, how can you bless me? How can I be in such a position as this? And it's because of the nation that we live in and the great physical blessings that we have that we don't ever take the time to look at ourselves spiritually and understand the fullness of what God has actually done for us. That we're no greater than a dead dog without Him. And I find it amazing time and time again how that we can approach God in a very different heart than what Mephibosheth approached David. And this is what God wants. He wants a humble heart, a happy heart, and an honest heart. Whenever you think about what David looked at, whenever he saw Mephibosheth, lame, broken, and poor, do you think he was looking at Mephibosheth? Or do you think he was looking at Jonathan? That wonderful friendship that he had. And that was what he was seeing. Much like our relationship with God, do you think when God looks at us, he looks at us because of who we are? The Bible tells us that he's looking at us for Christ's sake. Because of another. And Lodabar, Mephibosheth had nothing. We continue reading there. It says in Second Samuel chapter 9, Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall, not eat, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded, his servants shall so, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Israel, for he didn't, did continually eat at the king's table, and he was lame on both his feet. Mephibosheth was nothing. He was poor. He was an outcast. He was a fugitive. He had absolutely no hope. He had no prospects for his future. But when he met grace, everything changed. And it would change for the entirety of his life. Even David would make some bad decisions later on in his life. And his own sons would try to overthrow him in in his own kingdom. David still took care of Mephibosheth. Even whenever Ziba would do some trickeration and try to trick David into thinking that Mephibosheth did something that he didn't actually do. David still 
honored Mephibosheth. He always honored that relationship because of Jonathan. When grace was extended and embraced, everything changed. We're no different in a situation that we live in when sin could never get us, became ours because of Jesus Christ. Because of grace, we have a future. Because of grace, we have security. We have a promised security. And John 10 and verse 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. We have a a security that we did not have before. We're promised a home. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And most importantly, our needs are promised to be taken care of and met. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And this is a bit where our parallel parallel breaks down a little bit. Mephibosheth got to sit at the king's table all the time. And he had everything physically taken care of that he could possibly need. And we're not promised that in the New Testament at the level at what Mephibosheth was given. In other words, he had everything and then some. And that's not what we're promised. We're promised that everything that we would need in this life will be provided for us. But more importantly, we're promised that every spiritual need that we have in this life will be provided for. And that's what's important. And oftentimes we look at the physicalness of this life and we look at all of the entrapments that the world has to offer. The bigger bank accounts, the nicer homes, the more cars, the power, all those things that come in this life. And we find ourselves trying to attain those things and we forget about the spiritual things that are promised us. And we forget to tend to those things based upon what Jesus Christ did for you and I. And I fear that we get in a position that years down the road, we've forgotten to tend to those things and take care and nurture those relationships that we have with Jesus Christ because of what he did for us. And we get older and we look back and we look at missed opportunity and missed time. And we've not taken care of ourselves spiritually and taken advantage and leveraged the spiritual blessings that God has so richly blessed us with. And at this point, it's usually typically pretty easy to be vague in general in that. But let's be a little bit specific. Let's talk about the blessing of those that we have in this room right here today, what we call the church. Do we leverage that blessing that God has given us? Or is it something that we just do every once in a while? Do we leverage the word that he has given us? The things that it can do and the life-altering choices and decisions that it can lead us to. The answers that it provides us to. Do we leverage that? 
Do we leverage those blessings? I would hate for us to be years down the road and look back and go, I didn't take the time. The totality of what God gave me. And that was a future. Through the wonderful blessings that He has offered because of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And this passage, Abba, Father, this phrase, Abba, Father, is one that was, if you research and look at it, there's a lot of different ways that people look at it. But what it really ultimately means was one that had a a close relationship with their father. A lot of times servants and slaves would call their master father, But it was the child that had the right to call the father, Abba, Father. That this is what put them apart, set them apart, was that they were the true true child of God. Or, excuse me, true, true child of the Father. What Paul says here, because of what Jesus Christ has done and because of what we have, we have the right to call ourselves true children of God. Not apart from Christ, not because of ourselves or anything that we've done. We have this right only because of Jesus Christ and Him alone. This morning, His grace has been extended to you. Through this picture of David and Mephibosheth, what we see is something that's played out time and time again throughout the Scriptures. And ultimately, the picture is in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross for you. You died for your sins. Not because of a family name. Not because of any wonderful, great thing that you've done. He died for you, for lack of a better term, in spite of you. And that's the picture that was placed before us with David. And that was the action that was taken by God. That grace has been extended just as it was to to Mephibosheth. The grace is this. To all mankind. Not on your terms, not on what you think it should be, but based upon Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Bible teaches that he died for you and I. He he was buried and raised again in three days. We call that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. God wants us to submit ourselves to that gospel, that good news. He wants us to respond to what he did for us through, for you, through Jesus Christ. And he asked this morning that you submit yourselves to him. That if grace, His grace has been extended, that you believe upon Him, that you confess His name, that you repent and turn, and then ultimately submit yourself in the waters of baptism and being resurrected to the newness of life. That's the response that He expects. We also know this morning that there are times that we come and put ourselves in a position where we're not looking at what God has done for us, that we're not taking the time to care for the spiritual blessings that He's given us. And sometimes we do get caught up in life. Sometimes we do get caught up in 
all the trappings of what the world has to offer. Sometimes we need to be refocused. And if you would find yourself in either of those groups this morning, needing to be baptized or needing to refocus, or if you just need prayers on your behalf, we can help you this morning if you would come forward as we sing the song that's been selected.